is the Next Trip Podcast with Aviation Insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other app geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own. Good day and welcome to Boarding Pass 151, operating on October 17th. This is Drew, an airline ops manager and private pilot trainee, and I'm here with my buddy Doug, an airline pilot. We're here to discuss aviation topics from an industry insider's perspective. It's been a busy week, and we were on the verge of sending everyone a sorry we're delayed message, but we were able to carve out some time between work trips. Speaking of work trips, where in the world is Doug today? <laughs> yeah, it's funny you asked that because I'm wearing my Waldo glasses, as you call them. So it's appropriate that you ask where in the world I am today. Speaking of a delay message, I'm sitting in what you call a nondescript hotel room. Hopefully the listeners can't hear the air conditioning unit in the background. I've been fighting with that thing for an hour, trying to turn it off. Unfortunately, I, th- I think it's going to be there. I'm sitting in Los Angeles right now. I deadheaded down here early this morning, the first flight out of the morning, actually, which means that I left home at three o'clock. Drew, this it's funny. This is the same trip that we recorded on a month ago. I think it was five weeks ago. I, I can't even remember at this point. Yeah, it's like deja vu. I feel like you're in the same room, although this one looks even more nondescript with not even a piece of artwork on the wall. Yeah, well, there's there's a couple. There's, as we call it, the IKEA photo on the wall. The, st- the standard, <laughs> standard photo, issue. Yeah. The standard issue that the hotel <laughs> bought 400 bulk <laughs> right? from IKEA when they built the hotel. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone knows exactly what we're talking about, even if they don't know which painting it is yeah but no i'm I'm sitting in in los angeles i fly the red eye to newark tonight unlike that last trip though drew i have 24 hours off in the city tomorrow whereas the the last time i flew this trip it was only a 12-hour layover and went home it does mean a little bit yeah it means a little bit more time away from the family but it also means way less tired on the flight home because Mm -hmm. i don't fly home tomorrow night after flying the red eye and it's October, it's going to be the mid 70s, sunny. And I checked the foliage map for New York State and Manhattan right now is approaching peak. And we stay right by Central Park, I am going to spend the afternoon, just strolling through Central Park, looking at the trees, enjoying a nice fall day on the East Coast, <laughs> which it's been 90 back home still. So yeah. I, I, I haven't experienced fall, right? This is actually this, this is going to be a great trip once I get past the pain of the red eye tonight. Right, so if the episode is delayed, if the upload is delayed, you will know the reason is Doug spent a whole day leaf peeping in Central Park. <laughs> Don't worry, though. We'll Priorities. Post, we'll post the photos on the website so everyone else can <laughs> yeah. leave peep, leave peep with leaves. me. Not yeah. a single plane in the, in the, on the website. Yeah, I do want to mention, though, Drew, I was trying to get a Taipei trip for this this weekend instead of this one. And I know the listeners might see or might, might think that's kind of weird that I was trying to get Taipei because we've talked about how terrible it is. Drew and listeners, Taipei is open. There were like 10 people ahead of me trying to pick up that Taipei trip because the lockdown is done. And, and as we talked about, everyone is going to want to get back there now. Right. And I think it's not just going to be a cruise. I think that passengers, too, are going to start traveling to Asia now that these countries are starting to open back up. Yeah, I think it's going to be a very interesting fall season, you know, which we'll, we have a little preview of. But it looks like things are looking really good. And with Asia opening up, normally the downtime, I don't think there's going to be much downtime. I definitely, I'm going to talk my, my, about my trip to Chicago. Definitely no not a lot of open seats on any of these flights, which is great. Speaking of flights, you're in Los Angeles. You did manage to uh, squeeze in some airplane spotting while you were there. You got hit there at the crack of dawn, right? At like 5 a.m.? Uh, no, I think we landed about 8. But then, yeah, we're, we're staying by the airport. I walked over, of course, to the in and out had some burgers. It's It feels like June gloom here for anyone from the Los Angeles area and from Southern California. You know exactly what I'm talking about. The entire month of June, the weather in Los Angeles makes it feel like you're in London. It's not the bright, sunny Southern California warm air. It's overcast, kind of dreary. feels like that here. And the woman I was sitting next to on the flight down here used to live here and made the comment as we were landing, oh, man, it looks like June gloom. So the spotting wasn't the, the the spotting is in actually taking photos of the airplanes wasn't great because yeah. it's just a gray background. Drew, of course, I, I want good photos, but honestly, at the end of the day, I don't care. I just enjoy sitting <laughs> under the landing uh, under the approach end of the runway, 
just watching all these airplanes come in. Right, but you were being creative. So Doug was trying to make up for the bad weather with better content, I guess is what you were doing. <laughs> we'll put it on the website. I mean, <laughs> it was a sad attempt to make these pictures seem happy. It was still gloomy and gray, but <laughs> it was an airplane with a palm tree and an In-N-Out burger and some LAX statue, which had maybe some graffiti on it. What, what was that? Yeah, I think there is some graffiti. It says "Welcome to LAX," and it's <laughs> it looks like it's been there since the early '80s. But yeah, I was yeah. I was like, you know what? I I don't want a bunch of pictures with gray clouds in the background. So let me try and frame it differently, as you say, to make it happier looking. Like, oh, there's a, there's a palm tree. It's not as bad as the gray clouds make it seem. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great airport for airplane spotting. But I would say most of the time when we wake up for a day of spotting, it is gray and believe it or not, cold out there it's mm -hmm. definitely sweater weather as they say <laughs> yeah it was probably that this morning but we talked about this i i said that you would not be as much of a spotter when you were working for the airlines but i was wrong because you you did definitely make that walk out mm -hmm. to the in and out burger from wherever hotel you are you're yeah at. and I, I told you this morning that i was going to probably only go for an hour and i, th I think i was there for close to three probably did and they I even have a brunch special? Did they slap an egg on the burger and call it brunch? I, I'm sure on their secret menu, they probably have one, but I was too hungry and I wanted to, to get my burger and get out there and watch the planes. I wasn't going to mess around with some special order. It was like, come on, hurry up. I've got airplanes to go watch. Were there other one, spotters? There was actually one gentleman who I talked to and hopefully he's a new listener. He was on a work trip flying back to, I believe, Portland from Orlando he said that he came through LA so that he could go to the in and out to spot. It was his first time ever, ever being here. And he said it was awesome. I, I apologize to him about the weather. Mm -hmm. I, I sound like I live here apologizing <laughs> right. to him yeah. about the weather, but I told him you have to come back when, when the weather is nice because it is awesome just sitting in the sun, watching the airplanes. But yeah, uh, he, he was out there. So if you're listening, it was, it was great meeting you. Hope your flight back to Portland was great. Drew, I want to talk about your Chicago trip because it ties into a lot of topics that we're going to talk about on this episode. But I want to go back to Asia real quickly mm -hmm. uh, because Japan. I because I went to Haneda. Uh, we talked about it as we recorded the last time. It was great being there. Japan opens actually it opened on the thirteenth, I think, to tourists. I was there a couple days beforehand, and it was it was bizarre but awesome at the same time because mm -hmm. I went for an a wonderful morning walk around the city right at the crack it of dawn. It looked so peaceful. It was incredible. I was the only person on the street aside from the police officers. And I, as I as I walked around and there was no one else on the street, I, my first thought was, uh-oh, did I miss some sort of a curfew? Like, mm -hmm. is there still like a 10 p.m. to 6 a.m.? Because I had left the hotel at like 4.30 because I yeah. couldn't sleep. And I, I walked by and I, I just ended up saying ohio gozaimasu and konbanwa <laughs> to the police officers as i walked by and they didn't stop me and right i started started to get a little bit more comfortable with the situation after i realized that they don't really care but drew i have never been in tokyo when it was like that when it was and you will probably never again and i was the only person and it was amazing especially walking through the shrines which are supposed to be memorials and very peaceful and usually when it's the height of the tourist season you can't snap a photo without a thousand other people in the picture. I had the city to myself and it was incredible. And it was it was so much fun being back in Asia because that, that was my, I mean, I've been to Asia during COVID, but that was yeah. my first time out in Asia during COVID. And you said your mom and was born there in Japan. She was, yeah. My mom was born in Tokyo. It, it, was, it was nice being back. But Drew, I love the Japanese culture. I, I didn't tell you this. I was waiting mm -hmm. until the episode. We pushed back started the engines and all of the ground crew the japanese ground crew right. that pushed us back they were standing in a line mm -hmm. waiting for us yep anywhere else in the world the tug goes they salute us and they're gone right they were standing in this perfect line until we started to taxi out yeah. and they all they all bowed as we taxied by you know so i'm sure that meant more to you as the pilot but it means a lot to me as a passenger seeing the whole ramp crew lined up because they're looking at the aircraft, they're bowing. I feel safe. I feel like mm -hmm. each and every one of them really cares, really takes ownership for this departure. And I'm sure we all do, but just that that gesture, 
yeah means a lot right like they have a vested interest in that particular airplane that was my first time at Haneda you had asked me if I'd ever been there it reminded me the terminals themselves it, it wasn't all that different from Narita one thing that I did remember from Narita and Haneda has it too is and I know that Japanese love their plane spotting Haneda, the international terminal, has this giant spotting outdoor spotting deck. No, you're kidding top, me. At the top of the terminal. Oh, Drew, that's great. There were probably 75 people up there spotting. It, it was a Saturday morning, so of course, for so a weekend. So if we visit, we have to go we, there. Absolutely, 100%. And normally when I do the walk around, I take my jacket off and then mm-hmm. put my vest, my safety vest on and go do the walk around. Yeah. And I saw this spotting area up there. Yeah. And being in Japan where it's a very honorif- like honorable society, yeah. I, I kept my jacket on and, oh. and put my vest on over it. And as I'm walking around the airplane, I'm waving at them and they're all waving back. It, it, was, oh, it, cool. it, was, it was wonderful <laughs> being back in Japan. It, it, was, it was really great. Yeah, it's really nice when uh, pilots acknowledge the spotters because um, you're a spotter. I used to be a spotter, so a lot of airline employees are, even though not a lot are spot. Like the people who are spotting are not airline employees. Interestingly, let's get mm-hmm. we get all walks of life. Haneda. So the airport was it modern or was it old? No, it was it was modern. The terminal that we were in was modern. I looking at the outside of the domestic terminal. To me, it looked like it was a little bit dated. And I was doing some some research on it after the fact. Japan, anyone who's been there knows that the rail system in Japan is amazing with the Shinkansen, the bullet trains. I was I was doing some reading that because right now, like Tokyo to Osaka and Tokyo to Nagoya and all the other big cities in Japan, they're really trying to push for more trains and less flying. Japan has historically used 747s right, that had the 747-400D, mm-hmm. the domestic that didn't have winglets, had 550 seats, yeah. and they were running like 30, every 30 minutes flights. Japan is really trying to push trains instead. And I was doing some reading that they're trying to cut the flights at Haneda down to be able to combine JAL and ANA into right. a single terminal, which then they would build a new international terminal which would increase the slots for all the airlines. Because right now, oh, Haneda is slot-controlled. Yeah. We we, we can fly to Narita as much as we want. But mm-hmm. Haneda, we have to go through the DOT because Japan only gives certain countries certain number of slots that they can use. And, and as the airlines, we have to apply for that. Why? Because Haneda is 20 minutes from downtown. It was an easy van ride in, easy van ride back. That's mm-hmm. great for business travel, whereas Narita is an hour out of town on even the the fast train it's just too far out there for for like that downtown business travel yeah that sounds similar to what europe is doing encouraging people to use trains for uh intercity travel versus using airplanes because air traffic control is so 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 tight so tight there yeah Yeah. let's this is a great segue business travel what did you why are we delayed in in recording what what did you do this week so i was at uh we went to our i went to our winter ops summit that the airline does every year but this is the first one that we've done in person now it's not the first meeting since covid because i went to the summer ops so now it's the winter ops learned a lot of stuff nothing very new just going over our procedures again but the most important thing doug was this is a business trip where i'm actually going there and i'm not on a zoom call actually meeting the people it is priceless and i will we have some listeners that we didn't even know about so mike one of the big wigs that works for our airlines apologized to me it's like oh i'm just two episodes behind <laughs> you should be on the show mike thank you for listening you have so much you have a wealth of knowledge anytime you want to come on please come on and mike is where we get the term you don't tell the airline you want to you want to reduce the operation when it's bad you tell them nope we're going to run it hard <laughs> with mothership as he calls it my airport is the mothership of the east or we want to be so i'm going to be <laughs> mike and be like nope Let's run it hard. Let's get people out of town. Zach, who works in your department, who's a pilot, I don't, I have not met him. So Zach, thank you for listening because the pilot that was at the conference, I was telling him about the podcast. Is oh yeah, Zach told me to listen to that. Mm-hmm. So wherever you are, Zach, <laughs> thank you for spreading the word. Yeah, that's awesome. Lastly, I met a dispatcher, Chris. He works for one of our commuter commuter partners. We got to get. He's not a listener yet, Chris. If you're listening, hey, shout out to you. He checks off many boxes. He is originally from the Navy. Are, are Navy, are, 
previous Navy, our sailors and enlisted people welcome on the show? I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yes. <laughs> absolutely. You caught me mid mid uh, decaf coffee drink because I have to sleep and I'm, I have a placebo to keep me awake. But right. yes, they he is he is welcome on the show. <laughs> he was enlisted, and then he was Navy ATC in San Diego. Yeah. We have not had an ATC person yet. And we, we keep he asking for we keep asking for ATC to come I on. Know. No one no one has reached out to us. Yeah, yeah and that, then, that would be awesome to have him on. Yeah, he had a few other jobs and then he went to dispatch at this commuter airline. And he has stories about working ATC in San Diego because apparently so it's naval. It's a naval base in San Diego, but they handle you guys. They handle mm-hmm. the C fives and the KC tens that come in. And apparently you guys are the most spoiled. So the term Gucci boys, that doesn't come just from Katie, the retired pilot at uh, our carrier. That's also from him. <laughs> so just FYI. So anyway, had a really good meeting, came back, flights are full, total laptop crowd, including me. Although I forgot, my, I didn't take my laptop. And can I just get make a public service announcement for anyone who's doing business travel? If they tell you, go to this meeting, no, just take it all in take your laptop <laughs> because sure enough the boss asked me to have a little presentation ready and i'm like uh-oh <laughs> so i had to do it on my phone I, I sent it to you it was fine it was just a presentation that i was able to download on my phone from our internet and make some corrections can, but i was can, never asked to present but i was can like, i can i say something about that though yes <laughs> you told me you might have to go to the business center to oh do my, this presentation I did, and, yeah I was ve- like, I, I'm, I'm sorry that you didn't bring your laptop. I'm sorry you had to do that last minute, but you have no idea how happy I was to see the words business center at the hotel right. in writing. That was the first time that I've seen that since 2019. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to go to the business center at my work hotel to take care of take this care work of on my business trip. <laughs> that yeah. sounds and, that sounds amazing. And let me be, let me be clear. He didn't ask me to do it, but when he put that out there that we should have this for the future, I was like, I, I'm going to have it now. I'm going to be prepared. So mm-hmm. if during the pre, during the Winthrop's presentation, they asked me, hey, so what do you have from Washington? I would have something ready. Never used it. It felt good to just have. We have a lot of stuff to discuss. <laughs> yeah. So we got to move on. This is a good segue. So Doug, flying back from Chicago, our company will put me on the upgrade list when I'm on confirmed travel for business. We are prioritized based on seniority, just like when we are non-revving, it goes by seniority. Interestingly, not all airlines do this. Even when I was a new employee at our airline, I agreed with the seniority first process because I knew that the longer I would stay with the company, the further up I would move on that standby or upgrade list. Yeah, and I agree. I, I think we talked about this. It might have been episode 50. I was trying to remember when we had Tyler and, and Nate and Greg, our, our buddies, on. And Tyler, I, I wasn't working at an airline yet, and I remember Tyler asked me the question, which would I prefer, seniority-based or time of check-in, t- time of listing? I, and even at that time, I, I agreed with you. I think that seniority, and, and this is me, who's only been here Brand for new. 18 months, and I, I've had it before where I, I can't get on a flight or I don't get the upgrade or, or whatever it is because I'm lower seniority. Even, even trying to pick up trips I, for work, I can't pick up a trip. Mm-hmm. It's not based on when I list for that trip. It's it's based on the seniority number. I, that gives me something to work for in the future. Mm-hmm. That's, yep. that's how I feel about it. But we thought we would do a poll to the listeners, some of whom are airline employees, to get their opinion on this. We also looked into company loyalty in general and what the trends have been as more people work in what we call the gig economy, where loyalty to one company isn't what it used to be. Drew, back to our airline seniority question, what did the listeners say? Well, I mean, just just real quick, something you mentioned, as a pilot or a flight attendant, it means more to you than to me because your the trips you get, your whole career, what you what you're offered is based on your seniority. Mm-hmm. So much, like what hub you worked at, work at, what airplane you fly, what routes you fly. For me, it's really not so much because in management, it goes by merit versus seniority. But we do get credit for the years that we work when we're doing our when we do our reviews and mm-hmm. we get that, you know, when we're flying. But let's see what our listeners said. So the question that we asked, tell us if airlines should prioritize employee standbys by time of check in or seniority. Comments are welcome. Please uh, retweet. It came in half and half, Doug. I was surprised. 
48.9% said time of check-in, 51.1%, so just two points, basically half and half, said seniority. So seniority won by a hair. What does this say? I mean, most of our listeners are probably younger than me. They're probably your age. Maybe, yeah, I would say you would be like the most prevalent demographic. Do you want to, we can alternate some of these. Yeah, I I just want to say, I I think most of our listeners are not, or a lot of our listeners are not airline employees. I would say the majority of them aren't. And it's interesting to me that, that it would be this close between that. The one question I will say is if you fly Southwest, do you like checking in right at 24 hours prior? Because you might be in the middle of a meeting, you might be in the middle of a family thing, and you can't yeah. really do that. And all of a sudden, now you're in boarding group C, position number 50, where you're going to get a middle seat. Do you enjoy that? And if you don't, <laughs> did you vote for time of check-in? And if you did, Why? Do, you want to, do you want to change your answer? <laughs> that's, what I'll, that's what I'll say. So it's that. Southwest time of check-in? I don't even know. It is. It is. That's, okay. that's, how, you, yeah, that's how you get your, your boarding process. I know American is. Delta, I don't know. Well, no, I'm saying for passengers. I'm, oh, I'm not passengers. just saying Got it. for okay. passengers. That's oh, when, when that's Marissa travels point. for work. If she's in the middle of a meeting, she'll text me and say, are you available to check me in yeah. right at 24 hours? And you have to set a timer for a minute prior so that you can get logged in and refresh it and then hit check in just to get your boarding group. Oh, so that's another topic for revenue customers with the network carriers. And I'm talking about Delta United American. You don't have to check in right at the minute based on your status you will get the seat you want or you'll get the priority you want whenever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, interesting. Exactly. All right, well, the first comment is from family on standby. This person said, time of check-in until you have to scramble the day of, <laughs> then seniority. <laughs> that is so both true. Ways. But then why wouldn't it always be seniority, you know, scrambling or otherwise? Our buddy Greg said definite. So he's an on. He's an engineer. He has ridden on a buddy pass. So his um, response is, definitely seniority make that loyalty to your employer count for something i'm sure every new hire is choosing time of check-in and everyone that's been at the airline for 25 years is choosing seniority so that's not true for you or me. not true yeah but not true Greg. most of them and then our buddy tyler responded he said i'm sure now that you have said all this the high seniority people will follow the unwritten rules and list days in advance and never change their minds 23 years for me and um i apologetically i'm gonna say no because <laughs> sometimes i have to change last minute and i apologize and i know when i'm doing that two hours prior people who have been someone on is looking at the list and all of a sudden they see you jump in yeah. yeah so i try not to do that especially on flights that are almost full because i know that that is that is disconcerting to everyone else on the list so i'm, I'm sorry yeah non-rev god <laughs> so if you don't know non-rev god he's funny it's at non-rev god he's on uh, twitter we i He's an airline employee. I think we can surmise that. But very mysterious. We don't know which airline. We don't know where he works. He'll never identify himself. He won't identify himself. Very sassy. So he (laughs) he says, you know what I love more than waking up early for a flight? Waking up early the day before to check in for that flight. (laughs) Or being in some remote location worrying about (laughs) checking in on vacation. So we know what his answer is. We know what his vote is. And if the the non-rev god says seniority is better i think we kind of need to go with that but yeah i I think we can just ignore all the other comments now (laughs) (laughs) our buddy steve tao said kind of doesn't matter to me as long as they're below me on the upgrade list he is a non-airline employee all right now nicole's response i think was the best and i think i'm tending to agree with her even though i'm high seniority so she said i like the level playing field of checking in on checking check-in time but if seniority is the game i prefer a two-tiered list that prioritizes people by seniority who list X hours in advance. Below them are by seniority those who hop on late would force most the, would force the most senior people to make choices. I think this is great. I think maybe two hours out. If I, as a 23-year employee, is checking in two hours prior, I should be on a, a lower list and then based on seniority for people who change their mind two hours prior. Yeah, but but this is one of those things that every decision you make has unintended consequences where you might have people list for flights that they don't know if they're going to take and then just pull their name later. Oh, and then, that's right. And then it, it also could impact, like for, for us, because we, we have to jump seat a lot of times to, to get home and, and get places. 
And if, let's say, a flight cancels and you have to get on another flight and you're inside that two-hour window, mm-hmm. now all of a sudden it's not your fault that you had to list late. Something There was some sort of ear ops or something happened. Mm-hmm. And now you're saying that you're going to be at the bottom, but you've worked 20 years for the company. I, I kind of disagree. I agree with you. The more that you say that. And, you know, Nicole's husband works for another carrier that does do it by seniority. We should get him on the horn, see what see what he says. So, yeah. Seb, if you're listening, put in your two cents. We'll talk about it next week. And then Mr. United AJW said, seniority is everything. Time of check-in undermines what is earned through service to the company. I, I tend to agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. All right. Our buddy Lara, Lara who's on the non-rev lounge, uh, she said, seniority with exclamation points. And she now works for an airline that's not based on seniority, and she's saying seniority. But then she said, "But of course, I would say, but of course, I would say that, you know, because she has more years than me." I think she said, "I've had both at my three airlines, and I loved seniority." So again, another vote for seniority. That's from someone who has had both. Yeah, and she's a co-host with Tyler on the Nonrev Lounge. I think yeah. Tyler might take exception to his co-host saying that. Hopefully, there's a fake fight between Tyler and Lara. On the <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe we'll, we'll start something. <laughs> Girardi Aviation said, those at subcontracted companies would love the check-in time way. And yeah, that, that makes sense. Joey, it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if we have a lot of contractors, you're never going to get the same priority as someone who actually works for the airline. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. I, I have people that I've worked with that are subcontractors that I've worked with my whole career, or almost my whole career. And they don't get benefits with the company. And it's just, it's sad that it is that way, but I don't think it's going to change. Yeah. All right. Our buddy, Charlie, not an airline employee. He's in Seattle. He said, not that I have a dog in this fight anymore, but I generally think seniority should have the biggest impact on priority. It's interesting that all these comments or most of these comments are seniority, but the votes were close. It's it's almost like... That's it's almost Tyler is packing the ballot. He's stuck in the ballot. <laughs> He's got all these fake he, accounts. You know, what do they say? Vote often, vote early, vote, and vote, vote often. early, vote often. Yeah. And then Girardi Aviation no, responded to what Charlie said. He said, yes, but that is also tricky as people that work for subcontractors get low seniority, even if they've been there for years. And someone hired at the main company a week ago flies above them. He's still pushing. Yeah, pushing. <laughs> He's still pushing. Thing. Joey probably works at a contractor. <laughs> so, Joey, get on with the airline, and then you can stop belly aching. <laughs> All right. And then the last one. People don't work 40 years for an airline to get low boarding priority. Amen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? <laughs> exactly. The responses are split at basically 50-50, with only half of the responses saying that company loyalty should prevail. We looked into what the trends are in terms of loyalty to one company and found that it's declining. And I would say it's a generational thing over the last couple of generations. An article from the World Economic Forum, an organization for public-private cooperation based in Switzerland, reported that the end of loyalty has been a long time coming. Employee loyalty was in decline for decades, even before the pandemic. Now, after more than a year of juggling health crisis, onerous workloads, and family responsibilities, the resignation rate at most major companies has reached a new high. Millennials, with their frequent job hopping, foreshadowed the great resignation. That That's a very interesting term. The great, great resignation. resignation. That's what's yeah. happening as we speak. The oldest of this cohort, now 40, has never been able to rely on loyalty from employers. Hmm. They graduated during the financial crisis with limited job options and fewer corporate pensions and discovered that mobility rather than company allegiance was the key to increasing pay and expanded opportunities. The four generations in the workforce are witnessing continued global disruptions from the pandemic, and everyone from Gen X to Gen Z to baby boomers are tired of stagnant wages and looking for more security and opportunity. Hard work and quiet dedication are no longer a reliable path to prosperity or upward mobility. As this reality has hit home, older generations are starting to behave more like those quote-unquote disloyal millennials. I think millennials are smart. I think the younger generation is adapting to what to our current conditions. You know, mm-hmm. Amazon, Google, these are all fast-paced companies, and you have to, to keep up with them or you get old and stale. And not, I'm not saying age-wise. I'm saying production-wise or creativity-wise. Yeah. Right? You have to keep things moving. So it's not a bad thing. Companies don't have pensions anymore. 
So mm-hmm. what is what is the reasoning of staying with one company for 50 years if there's not that, you know, pot of gold at the end to yeah. look forward well, to? Once you're vested in your 401k and the, and the, the vestiture is, is different from company to company, but if it's six months, if it's a year, if it's two years, once you hit two years, you can walk and you bring all that money that went into your 401k that the company put in there. And, right. and maybe you'll have a, a better lifestyle going to a different company. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Doug, it definitely seems like the trend is to quote philosopher and musician Janet Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> what have you done for me lately? <laughs> <laughs> Doug, let's look at different industries and compare it with ours. Is there a significant difference? Let's look at the data from Payscale, which is a compensation data services and software company. So this is about 10 years ago, but I don't think it has changed that much. So we're going to look at these big companies and um, see how long people stay with them. So I'll do the first one. So the finance industry, AIG, everyone knows the insurer or reinsurer, AIG. So the median employee tenure is five years. And we're looking at uh, Visa, only 1.8 years. So mm-hmm. AIG seems to be a much more established company where people maybe still have a pension or better benefits and they, they want to stay with that. They're loyal to it. Yeah. Here's an in- interesting thing that I saw from Visa, though. The percent of people who said that they were low stress was 24, which is lower than what AIG was. But yet yeah. the percent satisfied was 83%, which was higher than AIG. Even though the stress was higher at Visa, they felt more satisfied in what they were doing. And correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't AIG go out of business because <laughs> of some big scandal about six That's years That's right. Ago? You're right. And this is 10 years old. Since then, they have gone out of business. Good, good catch. Yeah. But Visa, they're only there in two years, but they're very satisfied. Yeah. But then they bail very quickly. The next is comparing two tech companies, Microsoft and Google. Microsoft, the median employee tenure is four years, whereas Google, it's 1.1 years. Average salaries or the median salary is about the same. Mm-hmm. And looking at, looking at the stress here, Google, close to 50% of the people said it's low stress, whereas Microsoft, mm-hmm. it was 39%. And 84% of the people at Google are satisfied, as opposed to 69% you know, at Microsoft. I'm aging myself here, but an average tenure of 1.1 years, anything that I've done, done Doug, except for sales, which I hated with a passion, it, it wasn't sales, it was me. I was not good at it. <laughs> I was there for six months. But every single thing that I've done, other than that, I have done for at least two years. And if mm-hmm. I didn't like it that much, I at least tried for a year. And then the next year I started looking for something else is at least two years. True. But that's but, not how it is. If people don't like it, they change quickly. But you have to think, and, and we'll put Amazon in here too for the tech, the median employee 10 years a year. That's Mo- crazy. A lot of these tech companies, these are these are coders. The, these are Gen Z millennials who are coding, mm-hmm. who are in this startup mindset and i think a lot of them probably leave and go off and and do their own thing Mm -hmm. that they start their own companies or they they start collaboratives with other people it's it's all about this this innovation and tech and venture capital and and all that and i think that's part of the reason why the tech companies have much higher turnover is because people cut their teeth at these big tech companies they, they, right, learn, they, their, they learn their or, skill yeah, and then they go on to something else. I, I, something better. Yeah, yeah. That, might, that might be why. That might be why. Let's get back to our comfort zone, which is the airlines. Payscale, they only looked at two airlines. And I'm going to pre-apologize. This is about 10 years ago. And the airlines that they're comparing are United and U.S. Airways. I scoured the internet to find something on Frontier or Spirit to see if low fare airlines have a longer tenure or shorter. I'm assuming they're shorter. Mm-hmm. But we will look for that. And if you have that, if you're a listener... What is the average tenure at Frontier or Spirit? Please send that to us. The ones that they looked at were United, U.S. So for United, the median employee tenure was 12.6 years. So that's higher than anything else we've talked about so far of the industries we just mentioned. 35% of the people said it was low stress. So most of the people are saying it's high stress. The percent satisfied was 70%. The other airline that they looked at was a smaller airline, U.S. Airways. The tenure was only 3.1 years. So a quarter of um, the bigger airline, more of the U.S. Airways employees thought it was low stress than the bigger carrier, United. 72% 
said that they were satisfied. So about the same in terms of satisfaction. Drew, here's a question though, US Airways, if this was from 10 years ago, this would have been after the America West merger. That company, US Airways, went through a lot more mergers from like the late 70s, early 80s than United did. Because that these numbers were, I, uh, it might have been post, oh yeah, it says United Continental, so it's post the merger. But still, if you look at the, the family tree of US Air in 2012 versus the family tree of United in 2012, the family tree at US Airways has a lot more airlines feeding into it. A lot and of smaller wonder, America West. And Yeah, and I wonder if, if that turnover, the, the merging and the merging and the merging and, and growing pains through that led people to possibly leave U.S. Airways more than United. Just just a thought that I'm putting out there. Yeah, those are the airlines. We got to finish with this last one. Kodak, people who work for Kodak have an average tenure of 20 years. So that's the highest that they found. I had to quickly Google if they're still in business. They are, yeah. (laughs) They are. So they're not the most innovative, but um, the salary is not bad. 67% of the people are satisfied, which doesn't sound that good. Take that with a grain of salt because they've been there for an average of 20 years. With the airlines, you know, a lot of things that the airlines can do to keep employees. Are we ever going to get pensions back? I doubt it. Working conditions at the airlines, you know, the, the flight attendants just got an hour more of rest time. And we can be more respectful of our employees. We're always working on that, which is good. We'll see how it goes. And the salaries are rising. So that also bodes well for people mm-hmm. staying longer. So hopefully you'll stay. Hopefully you'll stay for 20, 30 years. Yeah. yeah, the really interesting topic here where we went from a Twitter poll about where you want to list to talking about tech companies and manufacturing companies and, and loyalty. But you can see how loyalty is different from industry to industry. And even with, within our industry, we see it all the time with people going from one airline to another. And, and it seems like it's happening more and more than it did in the past. You see it. So I'll just give you an example. So when I was a kid trying to get a job at the airlines, it was very difficult. It isn't like it is today where we're giving them $5,000, you know, some bonuses to join. Mm-hmm. It was hard to get in. And people knew that when once you got into an airline, you were in and that was your career and you were going to move along with the airlines. That is not the case. You know, it's the Janet Jackson. What have you done for me lately? So (laughs) if we're not taking care of them, they will go to another industry or company, sometimes completely different from the airlines. A big part of company loyalty is feeling secure in your job. And unfortunately for airline employees, this can turn with the economy or the latest geopolitical crisis. Thankfully, we're having a good year for the U.S. carriers, at least. Delta recently announced their third quarter earnings. They turned a $695 million profit for the third quarter ending September. Profit was down 54% from the same period in 2019. However, revenues hit a record and were 23% higher compared to the same quarter in 2019. By the end of September, Delta's corporate sales were back to about 80% of 2019 Mm. levels. And I I listened to the call at Bastion was really hitting on that point about the 80% of business travel being back. Almost 90% of Delta's business customers told the airline that they expected to travel as much during the final three months of the year as during the summer quarter, if not more, according to the New York Times. The airline plans to offer 8% more seats next summer than it did this summer and aims to have its network fully restored to 2019 levels by then. And Drew, just a couple other stats that I found. They had a 10.4% operating margin. That is very important. Can we stop for a moment? Yeah. I've been in the airlines for a while. 10.4, is what we were struggling to reach. Like if we said that our margin was going to be 10%, that was a banner year. We're still climbing out of COVID. Delta is not at their capacity levels for 2019. They have a margin of 10.4%. This is with $100 a barrel oil, high employee costs, and uh, international travel, which hasn't completely recovered yet. Absolutely. That's huge. And that shows the pricing power of the airlines. And, And Ed Bastian said that even with inflation, I know we've talked about this, but even with inflation, they are not seeing forward bookings dropping. And and I told you, I just booked Thanksgiving tickets for the girls, and I paid an arm and a leg for it. It's it's crazy that even still with inflation, people are doing it and that the tickets continue to to climb. and, And none of the CEOs seem really worried about it. You and I are traveling to Manchester later this month on October 23rd, which is a Sunday, which means we get there at Monday. So it shouldn't be a heavy travel day. What are we seeing as the, the loads? Days? Yeah, the loads are tight. Yeah, we're down to about 10 seats, 10 premium seats. 
mm-hmm. which means there's a lot of premium traffic yeah. on planes, which is great. Some more from Delta. Q3 domestic passenger revenue was 27% higher than 2019. Mm. Their domestic passenger revenue. Then the final thing is they up their quarter four guidance. They're expecting total revenue to be five to nine percent higher than 2019. And we're going to get the numbers from American and United very soon, and we will share those with everyone. We believe they're going to be very similar. They're going to be a very rosy picture of what's to come. In other positive, forward-looking news, several sources are reporting of an imminent United Airlines order for 100, yes, Doug, 100 wide-body aircraft. These likely will replace their seven, their 74 777-200s. 74. Do you know that United has the biggest 777-200 fleet in the world? I did not know that. That's yeah, I think I, I think I read that somewhere recently. Yeah, and if you count the 777-300s, I think it's close to 100, mm-hmm. 100 777s. All right, some of these uh, 777s are in their mid-20s, including the first one in commercial service, which is November 777-UA. You should check Flight Radar 24, see if she's still flying. I think she is. The order will be for either the A350 or the 787, according to the news reports. If we're looking at which is the closest replacement in terms of capacity to the 777-200, it would be the A350-900 or the 787-10. What do these two contenders bring to the table or the spreadsheet? (laughs) Spreadsheet. Well, I'm not going to get into everything here, but there's this website that we've used in the past, and you can compare airplane types against each other. The A350 wins in in just the stats from a range standpoint, from a fuel standpoint, from a fuel burn to all all of that. The only place that the 787-10 takes the cake is number of passengers, Mm -hmm. and it's only eight more people than the A350. 900 and drew something to to think about here the 787-10 is the largest 787 the Mm -hmm. a350 900 is the smallest a350 meaning the a350 1000 bests the 787-10 yeah the a350 900 ultimately is a 787 competitor and the a350 1000 is essentially a triple seven three hundred ER or a triple seven X competitor. Yeah, exactly. And the A three fifty nine hundred has more range, which is really important. But having said all this, I have never seen a wide body A three fifty in United livery. Will we ever see that? That's yet to. I, we'll find out hopefully next week. From our perspective, from the outside, I don't think it's likely that United would go with the Airbus, but. We'll see. The concern with the 787-10 is it doesn't have the range of the 777s with the 777-200ERs, which can go to most of uh, where United wants to fly. Ultimately, we can sit here and we can debate the capabilities of each airplane. I think it's, at the end of the day, I think it's going to come down to cost and time frame. I think if Scott Kirby United can get a really good deal and get the A350s quickly, I, I think maybe United goes with that. If they can get a really good deal on the 787s and, and they can get them quickly, I, I think that they might go with that. I think it is going to be less of a numbers game because ultimately, even though we said the A350-900 is just marginally better than the 787-10 from a numbers standpoint, numbers are great. Uh, but if you can't get the airplanes and you're trying to grow, at the end of the day, you're going to take what you can get and you're going to take what what the best financial opportunity is for the company. And here's something else too, not just the triple sevens does United need to replace. United has a bunch of 30 plus year old 767s. Boeing isn't building the NMA, at least not in the next 10 years. There is no true 76 replacement. The A350-900 seats 315 people. That is way too much capacity for a lot of what United is doing. You, you can't put 350 passengers on a flight from... I don't know, Newark to Nice. Like right. it, it's, just, it's not, it's way not too much. Mm-hmm. A 787-8, you can. And United I, has a very small fleet. I c- couldn't even tell you how many 787-8s they have. It's, it's, only, it's only 12 and there's no plans to order more as far as what's been reported. Correct. Look at what American did to replace their 7-6s when they retired them. 787-8 is a mm-hmm. great replacement for the 7-6. I know it might be a little bit too much of an airplane for some of the routes. Yeah. But United does have the A321 XLR is coming. They could do some of the, the lower capacity flying. That's where I, I think the 7-8 could be a dark horse candidate 
just because the A350 is so much of an airplane. That leads me to wonder, is it going to be a split 787, 777X order? Because the 777X is having delays, which means United probably can get those for a really good price from Boeing. There aren't all that many orders for them, meaning they- or, Wait, there's them. not many orders for what? For the 777X. Oh, so that could be, oh, that would shock everyone. That everywhere. could be a dark horse. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, that plane won't be available till like 2026 or something with the way it's going, but the 777-200s will just have to keep flying. Keep, for keep another pumping. Day, right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, great discussion, Doug. Hopefully we'll know the answer soon so that we can do a go around next week. Yeah, Drew, it's all about range and seats. Speaking of seats, our ops topic today comes from one of our listeners, Eric, who sent us this question. Hi, Doug and Drew. I recently discovered your show and have been excitedly working my way through your back catalog. We appreciate that, Eric. Thank you. He goes on to say, thank you for your years of hard work. I'm very fortunate to have non-rev privileges on your airline, mostly flying out of the D.C. area. Recently, I've noticed many flights have some number of seats, and he puts this in quotes, held but I haven't been sure what this means. I'll sometimes see 30 plus seats held on a flight to Rome a few weeks out or five to 10 seats held on flights to Mexico City, even on the day of departure. I've seen mention online that this can be sometimes due to tickets being held for travel agencies, but I wouldn't expect those to be held unsold all the way through to takeoff. Are there weight and balance issues on these flights that require seats to be held or something else I'm missing? Thank you in advance for your always insightful response and apologies if you already discussed this on an earlier episode that I haven't made it to yet. And apologies, Eric, that we're just getting to it now. I I know you emailed us a, a month ago. As you have listened, our episodes have been incredibly busy. No, this is a great question. And I have, I think I have all the answers. Doug, you may have some more and some of the listeners may fill in the blanks of what I missed. Seats are held for a multitude of reasons. So you mentioned weight restriction. Yes, that is one of the reasons. So just to give you an example, we had uh, flights going to Portland, Maine. And Portland, Maine's, their longer runway wasn't usable for some reason. That, along with the weather up there recently, caused us to have a weight restriction. So instead of showing all those seats available, we would take out five seats on every flight because revenue accounting can't catch up that fast because they sell seats based on historical value or historical bookings. So we will do that to reduce the people, the number of people that book because we know we're not going to be able to take a full load with the weight restrictions to that city for whatever reason. Another reason is we expect to board positive space crew, but they haven't been booked yet. So we need to send a 777 crew to LAX, which is what Doug did. It's a 737. It's almost full. We know that we're not going to need to send a 777 crew down to LAX. So we will block five seats or two seats if it's just the pilot. So then we can make sure that we have two seats. We don't know what the names are. And then we'll hold those seats for you, Doug, or whomever the crew members are. Crew rest seats. Some of our 777s, for example, don't have a crew bunk. So the pilots have to use a crew rest seat. You have, you have used that, right, Doug? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and f- flight attendants too on some of the some of the longer flights that don't have the the crew rest. They've got a chunk of seats that have a little bit more extra leg room, and that's the the flight attendant crew rest area. Agents will sometimes hold seats so that they can get families or couples together. You know, in the summer, it's mostly families. It's families and couples going to Europe for their vacations. So some agents will keep some seats in their pocket. So if there's a desperate need to seat a family with a five-year-old kid together, they have that flexibility and they don't have to ask people to move around, which is smart. Seats may be out of service for a mechanical issue. Maintenance will tell us these seats are not usable because the recline doesn't work or the armrest isn't, is broken. So they'll do what's called defer that seat. We may also have a seat that's usable, but the IFE doesn't work or the tray table doesn't work. So it's, it's usable. It's a safe seat. However, we do not want to put a revenue customer in that seat because it's not the best product for a premium customer to pay $5,000 for a business class seat and not have the IFE working. <laughs> so what we're hoping for going to Europe next week is a deferral. IFE is broken. <laughs> um, we need the IFE on a Lufthansa 747-8 to be not working upstairs, two seats together. <laughs> so any mechanic listening, you can pull the plug. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. What else do we have? Oh. We've canceled a flight and we are holding the remaining seats on the next flight because we need those seats for that flight that just canceled. So we'll quickly hold the remaining seats so that those don't get booked up by new customers so that we can protect the current customers. And as we're talking, I just thought about one more. When we're in the process of a plane change, 
if Paris has to go from a 777-300 to a 777-200, now we have about 60 less seats. Boom, hold the remaining seats because people are still checking in. People might still be buying seats on that. We know that we're going to do a plane change. It hasn't happened yet. So go ahead and hold the remaining seats until the seat map has changed. Mm -hmm. to, to me, to answer, going back to Eric's question about a Rome flight that had 30 some seats, but my guess is it's probably the airline doesn't yet know what equipment it's going to use. It's listed as one thing. And if they have to down gauge, they, they don't want to have to book 30 people on a connecting flight or send them a day later. That would be my guess. And and right now, with Boeing slowing or slowly starting to get seven eight deliveries back on with triple sevens that have been having maintenance issues, my guess is it was an equipment question that the airline didn't know which equipment was actually going to operate that flight. Right. So you I may see, you may see three or four seats on certain flights that fit all of these bullet points, but if you see a giant chunk of seats, like Eric was asking. Again, my guess is probably the equipment question. What are we actually going to be using on this airplane? And we don't want to sell the seats and then down, down gauge later on and, and have to displace people. Yeah, and watch the seat maps because these equipment changes happen more often than people realize. So your flight from San Francisco to uh, Philadelphia or San Francisco, it was San Francisco to Atlanta may have been on a 737 900 but now it might be upgraded to an international 767-400 for whatever reason. That upgrade that you didn't want to pay for to first class, that was $150 or whatever, now it's worth it. <laughs> You'll get an international product if the airline swapped planes and now you're on a better plane. So keep an eye on the seat maps. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, thanks to everyone for the questions and comments, which more and more become part of the content of our show. Let's share some more. This one is from Paul. Paul said, just listened to your latest episode and enjoyed it as usual. I'm surprised you didn't mention the heritage of the NOAA P3 Hurricane Hunter aircraft. Lockheed based it on the L-188 Electra commercial airliner, America's first large turboprop aircraft that had very troubled origins and arrived on the market after the introduction of the first jet airliners. Troubled origins indeed, Paul. The L-188, which is now, it's the Hurricane Hunter. That's how we know it. That's what we talked about. The L-188, which is what the P-3 was as a civilian airliner, first flew in 1957 and was the first large turboprop airliner built in the U.S. There were two fatal crashes caused by vibrations that tore the aircraft apart in flight. This was believed to be due to a phenomenon called whirl mode, or violently, violently destructive flutter. Flutter is an uncontained vibration that can lead to the destruction of an aircraft. And the engine vibrations on this plane, they were so forceful that the wing was torn off from its route. Yeah, Lockheed resolved the problem with the stronger wing struts, but the airplane's reputation was ruined. And we were at the dawn of the jet age with the Boeing 707 first flight in 1957, which was the same year that the L-188 first flew. Right, so this aircraft, Doug, it's big. It flew at close to 400 miles per hour. Now, this is a prop airplane. It also had the Fowler flaps that we talk about. These are the flaps that, as they deploy, they'll move back, and usually it's two parts. And that's what the new airliners have. So it was starting to have these technologies. But why would any airline invest in this after those incidents when the 707 is coming out? Mm -hmm. So I can understand why it didn't do well. He goes on, he says, also wondering if you saw the news of Aer Lingus starting nonstop service from my home airport, Cleveland to Dublin, effective May 19, 2023. I hope the service is successful. Aer Lingus is owned by IAG, but is not part of any alliance, yet partners with multiple airlines, including United, who used to have a hub in Cleveland. We'll see if the new service benefits from the still large number of employees and frequent flyers in the area, a legacy of its former hub. And then he ends with, keep up the great work. This is great news for Cleveland. Doug, I don't believe that there's any other international transcontinental service. I know there might be Canada and Mexico, but this is good for Cleveland. Hopefully it's just a start. Hopefully you will see other airlines flying to Europe from Cleveland. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, we've talked about how the A321XLR is kind of a game-changing airplane in, in this day and age. And if you think about it, this dates back to Continental in Cleveland. And Continental used to have a lot of transatlantic service. Right. A lot of it, London, a lot of, Paris. Well, and a lot of it was on the 757. And what mm -hmm. does the A321XLR 
replace even just the a321 neo it -hmm. replaces the 757 and we see airlines like tap portugal who are a321s to the east coast i've seen the JetBlue a321 in london a couple of times now we have Aer Lingus who's operating well yeah and that's the a321 neo and the a321 xlr which is um flying shortly that can go from denver to frankfurt <laughs> so not just <laughs> yeah. you know these close in cities so that's awesome thanks for the email paul doug we also have a comment from aaron on your ufo sorry uap citing from the last episode aaron we need more time to delve into your it, honestly it is 10 paragraphs <laughs> 10 paragraph explanation of geosynchronous and geostationary satellites and non-zero inclination <laughs> i'm gonna have to just google that to see what exactly that means we can pose these questions to doug uh regarding crew rest so he says you guys mentioned an eight hour behind the door requirement i got the impression from the faa document that i linked to on twitter that there was no such requirement at least for flight attendants as the document discussed comments discussed comments from flight attendants who were complaining about that at least that was my understanding I wonder if there is such a behind the door FAA requirement for pilots, but not for flight attendants, or perhaps the eight hour behind the door requirement is our airlines policy. It seems to me that it should only be a behind the door requirement. You need X amount of rest. You can't get that rest while you're on a bus to or from the hotel, but I suppose an arrival to departure rest period is easier to keep track of. Now we talked about this. I think that 10 hours includes the transportation to the hotel. Yeah, yeah, it does. And I I can tell you that from a pilot perspective, yes, it is an FAA requirement that stems from a lot of accidents that have happened over the years that were ultimately due to pilots not getting enough rest. A lot of it was at at the regional carriers where they just ran those pilots hard. Mm -hmm. I, I can't speak to the flight attendants, but I would and if you might be right, it, it may not be in there, but I would be really surprised if they don't have at least some sort of a behind the door requirement because mm-hmm. they are just as integral to the safe operation of the flight as we are in the flight deck. So they should also, at least in my opinion, I would be really surprised if they don't have some sort of behind the door rest requirement. Well, so do you think that 10 hour time for you is adequate to get about eight hours in the hotel room itself mm. oh, right just yeah it, it it's just there are some hotels or some airports that we operate into where if we have less than a what what did i say 14 hour i think layover we stay at an airport hotel there are a lot of hotels that are literally attached to the airport where i don't even walk outside to get from the airplane to my hotel back to the airplane the next day wow. okay so that that's right. 10 hours, 10 hours would work. Whereas if you have to drive somewhere, even if it's relatively close to the airport, that's why a lot of, a lot of our quote unquote airport layovers are still Mm -hmm. 11 or 12 hours because it accounts for that having to walk through the terminal, having to get to the crew bus, having to sit in traffic, having to get food to be able to allow for eight hours of behind the door rest. All right. Here's another question directly related to your schedule. Another question Related to this, Doug, you dead you deadheaded home after getting some day sleep in DC a week or so ago. If you had wanted to immediately deadhead home from DC right after landing in DC, because you got here early in the morning, would you have had that option, or were you mandated to rest before coming home? Good yeah, I, I I do have that option. We call that a deviation, but it would mean that I would give up my confirmed nice seat that I had, and I would possibly be. Ah possibly be standby, wouldn't have as, as good of a seat. And I would be, I, I know I'm just sitting in the back as a, a passenger ultimately at this point, but, but I would be pretty exhausted. But me personally, I want to get a, a good quote unquote night of sleep, even mm-hmm. if it's in the middle of the day right? W- with some daylight coming in the, the shade, but get a shower, get a nice meal, lay down in a bed for a few hours. You feel so much more refreshed getting home, even though you are getting home a little bit later. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that's good that uh, they do give you the option to come home right away if you wanted to. We, so. we call that a turn and burn. Turn and burn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. One more. We're going very, we're going long on this episode, but this, we can't not mention this one. So this is from our buddy, Steve Tao on Twitter. He goes by at mileage runner. So he says, regarding last week's episode, yes, the UAPs, what does that stand for again, Doug? 
unidentified aerial phenomenon. Yep. The UAPs are out there. They have to be. I make my living making shows about aliens of all kinds. <laughs> so this guy, he's he's a big wig at one of these networks, and a lot of their shows are alien or science fiction. I disagree 100% with what Steve is saying, because uh-huh. if they are out there and we do eventually find out, Steve is going to be out of a job because he is, <laughs> he is guessing and making this up about what, what we think these aliens are like. And if, yeah. if we find out that it's nothing like what his network has been running, yeah. then sorry, Steve, but you're going to have to come work for the airline to be able to travel. <laughs> <laughs> but Doug, what do we say? Oh, they're out there. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It just sounds like he knows for sure that they are out there. And he's just schooling us. All right. Speaking of crew rest, we need to let Doug get a quick nap before his red eye to Newark. So to our listeners, this podcast is your show. So go on our website, nexttripnetwork.com, and let us know what's on your mind so we can talk about it or give us your feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram at nexttrippodcast. Please tell your friends about us so that we can reach more people who love aviation and travel. Thanks to all of our listeners for your support and for joining the conversation. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay aviation tough. This has been the Next Trip Podcast. Visit nexttripnetwork.com for information about previous episodes, trip reviews, aviation photos, and other aviation-related content. This is your show, so search for The Next Trip on Twitter and let Doug and Drew know what you want to talk about. Not on Twitter? You can also email them at nexttrip.podcast at gmail.com. Please consider leaving a review wherever you download your podcasts. It will help other listeners like you discover this show. 